For the reading of the Word of God, we'll be reading our text from Isaiah chapter 53. We'll be going through several passages of scriptures today. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6, it says, And who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And he hath no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Continuing on, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we could, lay our Bibles down and join together in a word of prayer And ask God to bless the word of God and bless our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We ask you to touch us today, God. Minister to us, God, mightily in your word. Allow your word to speak to us, God. This service is all about you, Master. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. In our text, we're talking about the suffering servant. We have Isaiah writing and penning the words, telling us that we have somebody that is coming, and it's all the details about what is going to happen to the Messiah. You begin to read this, and this is what the children of Israel had to reference in talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming in every aspect of this um, text that we read today came to pass. And we will be going through several verses of Scripture as we begin to discuss the power of God. It was His pain for our glory. It was His pain for our glory. It was His healing, as we find in Matthew chapter 8, when He says, with His stripes we are healed, In Matthew chapter 8, in verse 16 through 17, it says, When the even was come, they brought unto him many many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. We find Jesus fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah, from our text in Isaiah chapter 53. We find that when he walked into the room, he reached down, I believe it was Peter's mother-in-law, if I remember correctly, reached down, she was sick. He reached down and touched her and began to heal her. And then everybody around seen this and they brought all the sick. That's where we pick up in verse 16. It was at this time when Jesus began to, in the prophecy, um, give of himself unto our healing and for the stripes to fulfill the prophecy, that we find that Jesus bore all of the disease and sickness upon himself 
for us. Now, if you've ever been to the hospital and you've walked in and you see room after room after room of people, you begin to walk down the hallways and you see in waiting rooms and families impacted, not everybody's there for the summer cold or the flu. What we find is there's many different illnesses. And as researchers begin to go through and discover more, they find that there is just unfathomable diseases. And they begin to make names that are after people who have them because there is no scientific name. Or they begin to discover things that's happened in people's bodies. But Jesus bore every one that is known and the unknown. What we have is his ability to take them all upon himself so that, so that we would have healing from them. It was at this time that the devil could inflict mass pain and suffering upon the flesh of Jesus Christ. And we begin to think about those. And you read the story and, and you begin to read through the Gospels. And as you, the writers begin to describe the environment of which the accusations came against Jesus Christ, what you find is it seems like someone turns a key, turns a page in some of their behaviors because it says that the people were then manipulated or uh, succumbed to the priest and what they were trying to turn the crowd and then what they have before them is a bloodthirsty mob saying, give us Barabbas. They, if you could have seen it, it was figuratively, I'm speaking, blood dripping off of their hands and from their mouths. No matter what reason that they tried to present, they said, no, we don't want him. We want Barabbas. And it was at that time that you see the shift of things and the people began to lash out at Jesus Christ and and, and and if you don't think that the devil can't influence a situation and turn people, just look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 3. And it says, Then Satan entered, and then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. If you think you're untouchable, think again. If you think I'm so holy, I've been around church so long, that I have been around this my entire life, the devil can't touch me. He's got his zeroed in on you today. Because he knows that your guard is down. What we find is, the devil knew who Jesus was. How do we know? Because they spoke to him in scripture. He would walk in the midst of them and he would tell them to shut up. You're going to blow my cover. My time's not ready. You can't go telling everybody who I am. It was, uh, and if people were to try to understand what Jesus was saying, but what we find is he walks in the midst of those that were afflicted with a demon spirit, and the demon would begin to talk to Jesus and call him master and call him what he really was. And I can't imagine the people around looking around saying, who, who is this man? We just know him as Jesus. But they knew him as the Messiah. He held all power in heaven and in earth, in his hands. Imagine the fierce fury of hate that would possess those as they were able to now inflict pain into the body of Jesus. Think about it. 
if we just step back and pull out the Bible story that we read at Christmas time and we reference it through Easter time, let's talk about people. What kind of people would it take to take an innocent man, strip him of his garments, and beat him unmercifully until he was losing conscience and strength? They had to have been, as they were whipped up into a fury from the religious leaders of that day, possessed of something. They had to have had something, the hatred inside. And think about it. Jesus came here on earth, as we read through the New Testament. He came down and healed and saved and delivered. Every miracle was tearing down the kingdom that the devil had so preciously built. And here we have Jesus Christ walking up and succumbing to what the devil wants to inflict on him. And all of hell was coming through the fleshly people that held the whip, held the thorns, that spit on him. They said they would slap him and say, tell me who it is. What kind of people do that? What kind of people do that? And if you were to walk up on a mob that was doing that to somebody, I would hope there would be the righteous indignation that would rise up inside of you and say, what are you doing? This man is innocent. Why are you trying to treat him this way? But Jesus stood there and bore it all for us. He done it all for us. Every stripe was for our benefit. We find that Satan had every advantage now to take over the fleshly body and begin to beat the body of Jesus with every stripe of, of the whip that went across his back and the nails and the rocks and the stone and the, whatever it was that was wrapped up in the cat of nine tails began to rip his body. Jesus says, bring it on. Give me all you've got. This was, if I could use some of our young people's vernacular today, it was Jesus' moment to say, come at me, bro. Give me what you've got. Because every stripe, every lash, every beat, every poke with a spear, every time you spit on my face, it's for my people. It's for my people. He did it for us. What we thought was, oh, Master, please don't do this for us. I'm so thankful that he did today. I'm so thankful that he took upon himself every stripe, Every, every affliction upon himself, he took it upon him, and I'm so glad that he did. He bore the wrath of Satan himself for every loss. I can only imagine hell was jeering and saying, look at the Messiah. They call the Messiah. Look at the man they herald as their king of the Jews. And my people, my imps, my spirits are influencing them. I'm in the religious leaders that can only judge Jesus as he walks here on earth. I was listening, Pastor, to a message the other day, and it struck a chord with me. It was so interesting that the word of God that we have here is penned by people who are moved by the Holy Ghost to write the 66 books of the Bible. But while Jesus was here on earth, he was surrounded by men who had devoted them live, their lives to document everything that happened in their community and with the religious leaders, the scribes. But instead of them saying, he just healed somebody and writing it down, 
they judged him. It did not meet their criteria for what they had always seen. We've seen him come here on the Sabbath. Instead of them saying, this Messiah, this man came in with the power of heaven and earth in his hand and healed somebody, instead of them writing it down, what we find is they went and told everybody, come back, let's try to trip him up. I was reading this morning through devotions and I was reading the passage of scripture where the reason why they brought the woman who was caught in adultery was not to so law could be given and executed upon this person, but it was so they could judge him. How would he handle the situation? But if you strip away their actions, the law said, you're caught in adultery, stone them. But their intent was bad. Their spirit was bad. And Jesus walked through every situation carefully, tactfully. It was prescribed on what he was to do. He had a mission. It was the times when the, the villages would come against him and they, the Bible tells, said they want to put their hands upon him. And he just walked through the midst of them. Because why? His time was not yet come. There is a purpose to your life as you sit here today. There is a reason you sit in this church today. We find in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. Talking about Christ here in verse 22, he says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Let me read that again. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop and bishop of your souls. We find that Jesus suffered every anguish just for you and I today. We can think we go through our problems, we think we go through our trials, and we sit there and we say, why God? Why is everything not falling in line for me when it is like it is for somebody else? The problem is, we are just like Peter. And when we go through the trial and we began to question God, let me help somebody today, it's because we have lost sight of what Jesus Christ can do for us. That is the reason we began to grow weary in well-doing, is because we began to lose sight of what God really, really wants to do in your life. It's just like Peter, when he walked out on the water, he listened and obeyed. What we find is he stepped out and then he took his eyes off and began to sink into what would then take his life. But then Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in the midst of that situation and reached down and grabbed him and pulled him up and says, no, 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 you don't take your eyes off of me. I don't know what trial you're going through. I don't know what test you're up against. I don't know what spirit you're trying to fight. I don't know how bad life is for you. But I can tell you this. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He went through everything. He bore it upon himself just for us. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, Jesus behaved like a meek and lowly lamb. And it was because of this, was able to deliver salvation to the entire world. It wasn't just the Jews. It didn't just stay with one sect of people. What we find is salvation was purchased through his humility for all. Everybody. Everybody say all. Everybody say me. He done it for you. His blood. The songs we sing, they may be a hymnal, a song, a really old uh, a song or a poem that someone may write and they may talk about it. And they say, well, that's for them. We may think of, oh, it is well with my soul. That was just for Horatio Spafford. That's just, no, that was for everybody. Jesus gave it all. If we can't preach Christ, we are just here today. Everybody looks nice, handsome, beautiful. But because we can preach Christ, there is an answer, saints. There is an answer. It says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so opened not his mouth. We find that Jesus took it on the chin for each and every one of us. We read this verse of Scripture, and I began to read through history, and I was doing some research yesterday, and I was talking to Sister Goff, and, and I said, you know what? Just reading about this makes me so furious. I was reading about John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was in direct opposition to the Roman Catholic Church because he thought that everybody should be able to read the Word of God in their own language. He was passionate. He hand-wrote the Bible. And if I remember correctly, it was um, 66 books plus the Apocrypha. So he went above and beyond at that time. I believe that's what it was. And he was persecuted relentlessly by the Roman Catholic Church, saying, no, it has to be in Latin. As I begin to read, they begin to say that there was that on this year, on this day, seven people, I believe it was seven, who were killed because they tried to teach their children the Lord's Prayer in English. And John Wycliffe began to relentlessly scribe the Word of God, began to write it for others in English so that we may have it today. There was another man that was a disciple of his, if you could say a follower, a, a passionate follower, follower, John Huss. And he picked up the mantle and began to run with it. And he was so persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church that they burned him at the stake, surrounded with kindling that was the writings of John Wycliffe, burned for the sake of the Word of God. John Huss stood there and said, In 100 years, there will come a man, and you will not be able to silence his mouth. A hundred and two years later, Martin Luther walked up and pounded 95 theses that he had handwritten and put it on the church doors against 
Roman Catholic rule. And we have some of those churches today. We have, we have English writings because God ordained men through time to not just sit there and say, I will judge you by the word of God. You can't do that. John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, Apostle Paul, Peter, you can't do that. But they said, we will carry the mantle. We have the benefit from their work today. God in flesh, you begin to wonder, so why is it that Jesus Christ did not pen a letter? Because he is the author of redemption. He writes it upon our hearts. He's done it all through time as God in flesh dwelt among us. The man, Jesus Christ, he put the word of God in our heart so that we may not sin against him. That's why we don't have to find a letter, say, let's turn to the book of Jesus. You pick up these 66 books and you have his words, whether they're in red or in black. It's the divine word of God. It is by his spirit that they were penned for our benefit. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 18 through 20, it says, If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's a powerful passage. Because if you don't have enough in you to live peaceably, that implies to me, I'm lacking in Christ. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. The writer is telling us that we have no right to be vindictive, retaliatory, reach out in vengeance, and begin to lash out at those that do us wrong. What are we supposed to do? Pray for them. Feed them. Give them to drink. Give them lodging. It tells us to turn the other cheek in the Gospels. It's not so they can beat mercifully on you. It's so you can then turn and do the right thing. That you can reach out and talk to them. Begin to share the gospel with them. Give them the opportunity to, to understand there's something different about being filled with the Holy Ghost. He did it for a reason. Salvation for you and for somebody else depends upon how you treat your enemies. Has anybody ever had someone do them wrong? I have. I have. I may have mentioned it in a message I remember one time I had a man steal money from me. And, man, I had it out for him. I called his dad. I tracked him down. I even called the bar he was drinking my money with. I said, let me talk to Tony. His nickname was Tony the Tiger. Tony the Thief, in my opinion. Called him up and says, I need my money back. And he never came back. And I remember telling his dad, in my weakness, I said, you never know what God will do. He is messed with the child of God. His dad stood there for a moment in silence and said, okay. You know what? I let that get to me too much. 
I let it get down in my spirit too much that when I would drive down the road, I would look for his business to see if it was out there. Because I'm going to get him. I'm going to get my money back. He stole good money from me. I never got that money back. That man done me wrong. I drove by one time. God had been working with me. Walked out of the house. Looked over and seen the man in a tree. And I so wanted to pull his ladder out from underneath him. I wanted to cut his safety rope. He was up there cutting limbs down. He had cut a lot. He's sitting there and looks over at me. And I just wanted to go Paul Bunyan that tree down. I said, God, you have got to help me. Because that is not the right response. We like to use the, what would Jesus do? But the Bible tells us exactly what Jesus did. He said not a word. They slapped him. They accused him. They made false accusations against him. Your salvation and somebody else's depends upon how you handle your trial, your situation. I tell you this morning, you may not know who's watching you. You may not be aware of the situation, but somebody's watching from afar and just seeing just how bad you will go, to the depths that you will go. But the Word of God gives us the reason why we should endure. He gives us an example in Acts chapter 8. I have a few more verses of Scripture left. In Acts chapter 8, we find the perfect example to what I've been preaching this morning. The perfect example. In Acts chapter 8, verse 30 through 39, it says in Philip ran thither to him and heard him and read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation... His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the, at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That is our example. The whole reason why Jesus was able to stand there and take every whip and wince, but not say, angels from heaven come down and lift me up and carry me away. Just as the devil tempted him and just said, let the, let the heavenly host declare your, your greatness and come and sweep you up and carry you away. The whole reason why that we find this verse of scripture is so that looking back, at Calvary. We say, God, I want to go back and kneel at Calvary. Let your blood wash over me. Yes, yes, yes. That is exactly what it should happen. But Jesus knew there would be a hungry soul that was in charge of a lot of wealth. But he had more hunger in his heart than he had wealth. And as he went to Jerusalem to worship, 
God spoke to Philip and says, I want you to go to the desert on this road. And as Philip began to go, he ran and caught the chariot as God had instructed him and began to run alongside of him saying, do you understand what you're reading? Let's pause for a moment. Philip would not have been there if the suffering servant had become a roaring lion at the day of his crucifixion. Had he just unleashed unmerciful slaughtering and one just took one angel to come down. Or just his word for them to all fall flat dead at the word of God. Or just one angel to come down with a sword and walk down and just scar the stone behind him as he's walking towards them and saying, who do you think you are? Jesus said, not yet. Now's not the time. And he says, beat me all the more. I won't say anything. Now, if you're a parent and you're trying to correct your child, and there's been a serious offense. And when you ask them a question in your place of authority over their life, and you say, why did you do this? I don't know. That kind of, and you're kind of hovering there for a moment, and you're pushing it back down. And when you press them for a pertinent detail and they say nothing, that's a challenge. And Jesus, in his silence, infuriated the spirits of those who were trying to destroy him as the Messiah. His silence spoke more because they could say, all you have to do is say, no, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. I'm, I, I, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to heal on the Sabbath day and back away. And I'm sure they probably would have come to an agreement. All right. All right. He's not challenging us fully as God himself. Okay, we'll, we'll let him go as just a prophet. But he infuriated them. He did that so Philip could run through the desert in Acts chapter 8 and began to preach unto him Jesus. It was because Jesus went to Calvary. It was because Jesus got up from a grave that allowed Philip to stand up and say, I can preach to you Christ. I can tell you who the prophet Isaiah is talking about. I can tell you who the suffering servant is. It's Jesus Christ. And you know what? He lives. He's alive and well. I have seen him. I, I, I was there when he wanted to feed the 5,000. And I said, Master, what should we do? Should we go and get 200 penny worth of bread? And I was Philip in that story. And John, I was the man. I was the one who I seen the Savior. And he'd be able to talk to that eunuch and say, I know somebody. His name is called Jesus Christ. He has power over death, hell, and the grave. But he also has something to give. And they began to preach to him Christ. And the end result of Philip's preaching was baptism. It was because of Jesus and his sacrifice as the lamb who would not say one thing. But he took every sin upon himself. He took the fury of hell as it unleashed upon him unmercifully and began to beat upon him. And he said, bring it on. More. It's only just a fleshly body. Bring it on. My father's got this. Is that all you've got? Cram those crown of thorns deeper into my scalp. Make it bleed. Make it bleed. I want it to hurt. I want them to people to see what they're really doing. 
It was the sins of you and I that made that happen. Stop making them the scapegoat. It was your sins. It was your flesh you can't control. It was my flesh I can't control. It was because of him he went there to Calvary. But I'm so glad he did. There was an opportunity given. And Philip was able to then begin to preach to him. He says, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Here's the thing. You can't preach Christ without water baptism in Jesus' name. You cannot bring Christ into it without water baptism. It's a central part of the message. It has to be there. You can't just dangle a crucifix and say, I'm a Christian. You have to say, I have been touched by that blood. That's symbolism. That's okay. But I have been to Calvary. And the blood of our Savior has washed over me and made me whole and fresh and clean. It's because of Calvary that I have been baptized. And Philip said in verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, and thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's a very important passage of Scripture. Because he doesn't say, they went to the synagogue and got some water, and he splashed him. He says, they went down into the water. When I was baptized, I was immersed. When my family was baptized, they were immersed. It was the immersion following the acts of the apostles. Why do I think that Philip would do it any different than what was taught to them from Jesus Christ? We have evidence. What I find interesting in verse 39 before I move on, and it says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went, his, went his, on his way rejoicing. If God did not approve of what that disciple did, then why would God step in and have him go? If you read on the next verse of Scripture, he then took that very same message and preached it abroad. That tells me, Philip baptized in Jesus' name. Immersed him for a reason. And God blessed it and says, you're not done here, Philip. That was just one man. Go to this city and picks him up and takes him to where he needs to go. But Philip could do this because there was proof that was given to him. And it was not just a habit, but a pattern. He knew salvation. We'll step back to the very first part of Acts chapter 3. And we see, it says in verse 3, and Saul, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. This is Saul, soon to be the Apostle Paul, going in to churches and houses and pulling them out and putting them in prison. How many of us had a knock on our door saying, do you follow Jesus Christ? Let me see your Bible. Where do you go to church? None of us were persecuted this morning. Some of us may not have wanted to get out of bed. And that's your greatest Sunday morning persecution. 
These people had to go and worship in fear of going to prison. This was not the prison that Martha Stewart went to. This was not the prison that the rich and the famous go to, and it's just a little bit of confinement with so much freedom. This was a prison that would take their life. There was no doctors that come through and checked on them. You were in the hand of your maker until you left or you died. They were persecuted. And, and we find that Saul, this is right on the heels of Saul persecuting and executing Stephen. And it talks about it in the first part of chapter 8. Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was the one who said, yep, he's the one, kill him. And we find that the church was scattered, except the apostles. And Saul begins to come in with his mighty hand and his power and begins to persecute the church. And something beautiful happens. And it says in verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, the same Philip that talked to the eunuch from Ethiopia, who was under great authority of Candace, of the queen of the Ethiopians, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, and hearing and seeing the miracles that he did, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out, many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and they were lame, and they were healed, and there was great joy in that city. If you think only Jesus Christ can take care of every situation, you are selling your walk with God short. There is so much more in God than just saying, I went to a Sunday morning service. That I just went and held hands with God as I lifted them up as the preacher or the worship leader or whoever said, lift your hands. And I began to talk to him. There's so much more to God. His presence, his name, the power in his name is infinite. Infinite. No matter what your situation is, God is the answer. It says there was unclean spirits. We don't like to talk about that. Because that means things get dirty. Because when unclean spirits come out, you see people for who they really are. It's no longer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's, I have something filthy and undesirable in me. And the only way to get it out is Christ. He preached Christ. What was the end result of Christ? Unclean spirits leaving. Many of them, they said, possessed with them. What's interesting is you have Simon in the very next passage of Scripture. And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. And, as, and whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. It says they all, from the least to the greatest, from the most educated to the least educated, from the richest to the poor, seen Simon as a man of God. But then came Philip, preaching Christ. I can tell you today, tradition must bow to Jesus Christ. Every church, regardless of the church sign, has to bow to Jesus Christ. They have to say, He is the authority. He's the Word. He's the one who changes lives. 
There's nothing that I can do to change somebody's life outside of obeying God and preach the word of God as he's given to me. But share Jesus Christ. That is my input. It is for me to follow after the word of God so that somebody's life can be changed. It's the result of preaching Christ. And it says in verse 12, And when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Wow. We read ahead and you can see the, the, the Ethiopian done the very same thing. That's the very same. So Philip knew, if I preach Christ, this is how you get close to him. You're baptized in Jesus' name. It says that in the name and the name of Jesus Christ. Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's what the apostles did. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, and who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And it says here, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They weren't saved yet. They were just baptized in Jesus' name. They had only partway went there. They had only not halfway committed. They had went to the depths of which they knew at the time. But then they had a hunger inside of them. Send some men. Send another man of God. Send them down here because we have a hunger and a desire. Send Peter and John. Let them know there's some hungry people here. It's more than just saying, okay, you're baptized, you're good. Commitment to God is more than saying, I signed a card and I'm now a member. Or I went down and said the prayer that somebody else told me. Living for God is a 100% commitment to Him. Everything else must fall away so that He can come into the picture. And everybody who sees you, Brother Hilton, sees Christ. That is the only way to live for God. What do we find happen after Peter and John come in the midst of them? Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. They preached Jesus Christ. And the end result was baptism in Jesus' name and an infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was the Spirit of God coming upon them in a way they never thought they knew. It erased and built upon John's baptism, what we find in the Gospels. And it wasn't just enough to be baptized in the name of John's baptism. They had to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's what the Scripture says. That's what the apostles, the ones who stood there with Jesus and said, Master, tell us what we must do to be saved. He told them and they executed in the book of Acts. They fulfilled His command. And you see, Simon says, whoa, there's something greater than what I've done. Because when I seen you lay hands, they got the Holy Ghost. How much can I give you? They said, just keep your money. Because what you cannot buy, a real walk with God. You can be the wealthiest person in a church and contribute just gobs of money. You're just giving money. Only people that's going to notice 
is the IRS, the accountant. You can just give money. But when you give your all, when you give of this, when you lay this down, it becomes something more powerful. The musicians come this morning. When we have given of everything within ourselves, we can then take and apply ourselves and say, God, your word says. And we can turn there in Acts chapter 2. Philip knew what would happen. Philip knew exactly what would happen. In Acts chapter 2, it's all throughout the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, and it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You can go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, and you'll hear more about this. And, and it says in verse 14, And Peter standing up with the eleven. Peter was not a man on his own going rogue, but he also had Philip, Peter, James, John. He had all those disciples there with him. And they all said, as Peter began to say, they all said, hear, hear. He's saying the truth, saints of God. They were all in agreement with Peter as he began to preach this gospel, telling them there is something more than just saying, I'm a Christian. There's something more than slapping the sticker on the back of your car and saying, I'm a Christian. There's more than just saying, I have a wristband that says, what would Jesus do to be a Christian? You have to have the Holy Ghost. He went to Nicodemus, and you can read about it in Acts, and it talks about him. What must I do to be saved? I must be born again of the water and the Spirit. And he says, can I go again unto my mother's womb? No, Nicodemus. Your mind is going the wrong direction. Your answer stands with Jesus Christ. Something else can change your life. You don't have to go back and talk to your mother again. Once you get the Holy Ghost, if she's still alive, go tell her what God has done for you. But it's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. I dare that I want to walk from this life to the next. Not having every bit of God. Because tradition holds me back. Because my flesh holds me back. My will says, nah, not that much. I can't commit to God that much. There's some people that did that. You look in John. You'll find some people. But Jesus began to say, your fathers and your grandfathers and your families, they all ate manna from heaven. They all ate of it and God provided. But what you're going to eat is the flesh of the Messiah. And you're going to drink His blood. They did not understand or comprehend. And it says the disciples left Jesus. And then Jesus then turns to his disciples that are remaining and begins to minister. Everybody is given the opportunity as we stand today not to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but to know him as he really, really is. To know him in the power of his suffering. The reason that we have Jesus Christ being talked about in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 and the reason we have him all throughout Scripture as the one who is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of this world is because so that we could have an Acts chapter 2, an Acts chapter 8, and on and on through verses of Scripture experience to where it's more than just saying, 
Jesus' sacrifice makes me feel bad. No, Jesus' sacrifice is here to change you today. Can we lift our hands and talk to him today? Thank him for his sacrifice today. We love you, Jesus. It's because of you we live, Master. I love you and I thank you, God, for what you did for me. I thank you for Calvary, God. I thank you, Master. I don't have to retaliate against what the devil did to me. I just have to surrender myself to you and say, God, give me all that you have for me. I surrender all that I am and ever hope to be. God, I surrender all. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Let's talk to him today, church. Worship him for the Savior that he is. How he wants to change our life. Thank him for your testimony. We love you, Master. Hallelujah.